Please open your Bibles to Psalm 113. Psalm 113, if you're using one of the Bibles in the seat before you, it's page 647. As we continue in our summer series, Summer in the Psalms, today we are looking at Psalm 113. Let us listen attentively to the word of our God. Psalm 113. Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations and his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, who is seated on high, who looks far down on the heavens and the earth. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with princes of his people. He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you for this word. And we ask now, O Lord, that you would bless this this reading and this preaching of your word, that it would touch our hearts, that it would convict us, that it would shape us, that it would change us, that you would teach us, O Lord, how we might better know you and walk in your ways. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Brothers and sisters, what is it that motivates you? What is it that drives you? Where are your thoughts? What what is frequently in your conversation? What do you dream about? In other words, what is your overriding number one priority in life? Now, for Christians, we say that that number one priority is glorifying or praising God. The Westminster Shorter Catechism says the chief end of man, that the the main purpose of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. The problem is, is that we struggle to do that. We struggle to make him number one. It's not that we ignore God, but we struggle to keep him first in our lives at all times. There are so many urgent and distracting things in the world that the priority of God gets knocked down and these urgent and distracting things take their place. Sometimes we don't place God first because of the urgent pressures of meeting deadlines, of paying bills, of lowering our debt, or maybe of just fulfilling the many commitments that we have. Sometimes we don't place God first in our lives because we are distracted by entertainment, by sports, or too much time on Facebook, YouTube, or Twitter. There are so many urgent and distracting things in our lives that we tend to put the priority of God off until later. When we do this, our lives resemble the unfinished work 
of the painter Adolf Menzel. Adolf Menzel began a painting of the Prussian king Frederick the Great. He painted the woodland backgrounds. He painted the generals, most of them. But he never got around to painting the king. The focal point of that painting is blank to this day. Adolf Menzel died before he had an opportunity to finish that painting. Many of our lives resemble Adolf Menzel's painting. We put off our greatest priority, our king, until later. We struggle to make him number one. In the midst of the urgent, in the midst of the distracting things in our lives, can God ever be the greatest priority in our lives? This is what we want to look at today. In the midst of the urgent, in the midst of the distracting, can God ever be the greatest priority in our lives? Today, in Psalm 113, we find comforting words. First, we learn that God can be our greatest priority because God made us to praise Him. Now, all things were made to praise God and give Him honor to a certain extent. But man, man has a very special place. God made man to be so close to Him that it would just naturally burst from us all the time. And so we read in verse 1, Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. How many times are we told to praise the Lord? Three. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You didn't get it the first two times. Praise the Lord. What are we supposed to be doing? Praising the Lord. That's right. We are called to praise our God. Okay. So just how much of my life do I really need to give up to praising the Lord? I've got other things to do. Verse 2. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. We are called to praise the Lord 24-7. From this time forth and forevermore. Now, I can imagine someone here, let's say a student on summer vacation, thinking, Mom, no school in September. Pastor Clint said, I need to be praising the Lord. Or maybe the adult thinking, no more work. Well, that's not quite what that means. 1 Corinthians 10.31 tells us, uh, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the praise of God. For God's glory, for God's honor. So in the midst of our studies, in the midst of our work, we are to praise the Lord. And in verse 3, we find out it doesn't matter where you're at either. Verse 3, we read, From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. No matter where the sun's rays touch, on this planet, no matter where you are at, we are 
to praise the Lord. He made us to praise him at all times and in all places. Think of it like this. How many hours a day does a refrigerator maintain food cool and preserved? 24 hours, seven days a week. And when, if our refrigerators could talk to us and they said, you know what, I'm only going to work one hour a day, we wouldn't be happy. Our food would spoil. The refrigerator would not be fulfilling its purpose to keep things cool. Many years ago, I was... I had the opportunity to work with a church in Venezuela. And I was at an old farmer's house. Very poor man, uh, poor farmer, small one-room wooden house, no glass on the windows, dirt floor, chickens coming through through the place. He had the bench seat of a truck up against the wall. That was his his sofa. And he had a refrigerator in the living room. I was surprised. I hadn't seen a refrigerator in any of the houses in that town. And I asked him about it. He got up very proud and he said, come and see my refrigerator. And he opens it up and there inside are a couple books and some pictures. Refrigerators weren't made to be used as bookshelves, a little bulky for my preference, but they can be. They can be used for other things. But that refrigerator was not fulfilling its purpose, the purpose that was given to it by its maker, by its creator, its purpose to keep things cold. Refrigerators have one created purpose. And likewise, you and I can do many things, but we were made with one primary purpose. We were made to praise and glorify God all of the time and in all places. It doesn't matter what time of the day it is. It doesn't matter if we're in Venezuela, the United States, or anywhere on earth. We are to be about praising and glorifying our Lord. When we live with wrong priorities, we are worse than a refrigerator that spoils meat because it's not doing its job. Again, it's not that we we leave our work or our studies or other things, but we use those to glorify God. We will still have urgent and distracting things in our lives, things that demand our attention. But understand that God's praise is our first priority and will determine how we go about our work. So, for example, that urgent project that your boss or teacher demands on their desk by next week, that should no longer be the priority in your life. Now it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity to glorify the Lord. It's an opportunity to use your skills and talents for God's glory and honor. It's an opportunity to use your time wisely. It's also an opportunity to show that you will not neglect your family, your friends, and your time, devotional time in prayer and in God's word. The pressures of life become opportunities to praise God as we respond to them in God-glorifying ways, no matter where you are 
no matter what time it is. Unfortunately, although we were made to praise God, we have a problem. You see, we were made to praise God because we're in close proximity to God. We see him, and so we reflect this glory. The problem is that with sin, or in sin, we don't see God. We're, we're blind to him. And so we don't fulfill that purpose again. We struggle, and those urgent, distracting things become the priority in our lives once again. And so we ask again, can God ever be the great priority in our lives? Psalm 113 reassures us by teaching that God can be our greatest priority because God motivates us to praise him. God gives us the greatest motivation possible, himself. He gives us himself. He teaches us two things about himself that motivates us to praise and glorify him. What does he reveal about himself? First, in verses 4 and 5, he reveals his majesty. In verse Verses 4 and 5, we read, The Lord is high above all nations, and his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, who is seated on high? The Lord is high above the nations. Take the combined glory and honor of all the the leaders of our nations. All of it combined. Take the power of every nuclear warhead that these leaders have, something like 17,000 nuclear warheads, the combined power of them. Take their armies, over 15 million soldiers strong. Take all of that. That is as nothing compared to our God. Isaiah 40, we learn that it's like a, that all of that is like a drop in the bucket. Take a large bucket of water and compare it to an eyedropper. Just let one drop come out of that eyedropper. And then you take that giant bucket, you pour it next to it, and you compare the two. The eyedropper, the drop from the eyedropper is like nothing. Our God's majesty and awesomeness is way beyond anything that we can understand or comprehend And so, in verse 4, we read, The Lord is high above all nations and even the heavens. The majesty, power, and authority of God should cause us to come before him in fear and awe and respect. And so, Proverbs 1-7 tells us correctly the fear of God of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Who is like our God? No one. We are motivated to praise him for who he is, this mighty, majestic, and awesome God. But it doesn't stop there. This awesome God stoops down from on high to be with us. Verse 6 tells us that God looks down upon his creation. He looks down from his lofty and high throne with compassion and care.
care. In verse 7, we read, He raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap. The God who is far above all things is also the God who is with his needy people. We are motivated to praise God because not only do we have this God who is awesome and majestic, but he's with us. He comes down to our level. We are motivated to praise God for his nearness, for his closeness to us. The theological terms for what God reveals about himself here in verses 4 through 7 is transcendence and imminence. Theological terms, but what they mean is transcendence reminds us that he's God and that we're not. His ways are not like our ways. We don't think like he thinks. There's a big difference between the two. But eminence reminds us that he's there with us. He comes to be with us. He's close with us. And this is found most perfectly in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the God-man. The God who's the King of kings and Lord of lords. The judge. The coming judge of the world. And the one who understands us in our needs, who cares for us, who has compassion for us, who makes his home in our hearts. Wow, what a motivation we have to praise the Lord for his majesty and for his compassion, for his greatness and his nearness, his supremacy and his interest in your life and in mine. His transcendence and eminence motivates us to place him as the priority in the midst of the urgent, distracting things of the world. Seeing God helps us to put TV programs, the news, Facebook, YouTube, in their proper place. How many times have we spent hours on the computer using our smartphone, watching TV, and we haven't spent one minute praying to God. We haven't spent one minute reading our Bibles. As we think upon the majesty of God, we're motivated to put things in their proper place. We're motivated to make Him number one in our lives. And as we think upon His presence in our lives, We're encouraged because he understands our weaknesses and we know that he's there to help us in the midst of our difficulties. We are motivated to place God as number one because of his transcendence and his eminence. Now, we still have sinful hearts. And this makes it difficult. The waves of the urgent and the distracting keep hammering upon us. Day after day after day, something new comes up. Day after day, there's the temptation of these distractions that are all around us. Because of our sinful hearts, because of our self-centeredness, we struggle. And so again, we ask, can God ever be our greatest priority? 
Psalm 113 teaches us that God can be our greatest priority because, number three, God empowers us to praise Him. God empowers us by transforming our lives, by radically changing us. Look at the radical transformation that takes place in verses 7 and 8. He raises the poor from the dust and He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with the princes of His people. Those who are associated with Dust and ash heaps in Israel today would be those who are homeless or live under bridges or or perhaps those who get everything they need out of trash bins and, and, and trash cans. These are people, real people, who had real and deep needs. The Lord changes their lives. He makes them to sit with Princes, he, pu- he puts them in positions of honor and respect and care and comfort. The Lord dramatically, completely and totally changes their lives. To emphasize this dramatic transformation, our attention is directed to the destitute, hurting, and hopeless, the most destitute, hurting and hopeless people in Israel, the barren woman. A barren or childless woman in Old Testament times was seen as such a reproach that Rachel told her husband Jacob that she would rather die than not have a child. To be childless in Old Testament Israel was a huge religious, economic, and social disgrace. Religiously, they were seen as cursed. Economically, it meant that they would have no one to provide for them in their old age. Socially, they were going to be seen as a a burden upon society. But in verse 9, we read that God, the majestic and awesome God, reaches down and transforms this woman's life. He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. This is a dramatic transformation from religiously, economically, and socially disgraced and dishonored to being lifted up to a position of religious, economic, and social honor and respect. Does Scripture give us any more examples, clear examples of this? Yes. Think of the barrenness of Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, Samson's mother, Hannah, the Shumanite woman, Elizabeth. Each of these women of these women were unable to have children. And they carried the shame and dishonor of their society. A shame and dishonor that I should point out that does not apply today. But in their society, in Old Testament Israel, it was a shame. It was a dishonor. But the Lord changed their shame into honor by completely, dramatically transforming their lives by giving them children. These women were empowered. They were, they were motivated. They were changed to praise God. It just, this praise just burst from their mouths. We don't have the response of each one of these women, but listen to a few. Sarah responded 
to this by saying, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. Now, this isn't like we would think today, not people laughing at her. But these are people laughing with her, rejoicing in what God had done for her. Rachel exclaimed, the Lord has taken away my reproach. Hannah expresses an explosion of praise saying, my heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. And she just goes on for another eight verses praising God. She praises God and these other women praise God from their transformed lives, empowered by God to praise him with their lives. God dramatically changes our lives as well. We start in the dust. We start in the ash heap. We start like the barren woman, except entangled in our own sin, in our own self-centeredness. In sin, we cannot do anything about that. In sin, we cannot transform our own lives any more than a barren woman could transform her life. We live purposeless, destitute, hurting, hopeless, and cursed lives of shame, putting the urgent and distracting things of our lives as priorities over God. Psalm 113 tells us that as God himself who comes down and changes our lives, who radically transforms them. More specifically, it's the God-man, Jesus Christ, who makes this change in our lives. We are transformed and empowered as Jesus works in our hearts. Through Jesus, we go from being spiritually dead and enemies of God to being spiritually alive and children of God. We go from being condemned to eternal punishment to being redeemed, knowing that we have eternal paradise waiting before us. We wallowed in the pigsty of sin, and now we are seated in heavenly places as princes and princesses. We used to walk in darkness with Satan in the world, but now we walk in light with Christ and the heavenly host. Jesus Christ died on the cross for the sins of his people. He conquered death. He rose from the grave. He ascended into heaven. And from heaven, he sits upon his throne, transforming and empowering lives that we may fulfill the purpose to which we have been given, to praise God. As the urgent and distracting things of the world demand our attention, we put them in their proper place as opportunities to praise God. And we say with Paul 
in Galatians 20, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The priorities of our lives will change as we see that God made us to praise him at all times and in all places, as we see that he motivates us to praise him, as we understand his transcendence and his eminence, as we see that he empowers us to praise him by dramatically changing our lives. Now, in all of this, we've seen what God does. He does the heavy lifting. Inevitably, somebody will ask, Yeah, but what do I need to do? That's a fair question. What do we do? Two responses. First, we are to repent. We are to be humble. Notice in our text, who is it that God is lifting up? Who is it that God is helping? He raises the poor. He lifts up the needy. He does not lift up or help the proud. If you don't think you need God, he's not going to help you. We need to be humble. We need to come before him and recognize our sins and bring them to him. We need to let him know, Lord, I've put other priorities ahead of you. I have put the urgent and the distracting things of the world ahead of you. Forgive me. We need to be humble and repent of our sins. Secondly, we are to live our lives by faith. That is, we are to believe and trust in this transforming power of Jesus Christ in our lives. We are to accept his forgiveness. We are to live these lives that place God first and foremost in all that we do. God is our great priority Everything else is just an opportunity to praise and glorify God. Romans 12.1 says that we are to present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. Just as the Israelites would take a lamb or bull offering to the altar and let it burn as a thanksgiving or praise offering to God. Our lives are to be continual, nonstop, perpetual praise offerings to God in all that we do. God has transformed your life and my life so much that all of life is now sacred. Therefore, we not only can make God's praise our greatest priority. We must make God's praise our greatest priority. Our lives are all about Him. We are to live by faith. And when the cares of the world, when the urgent and distracting things of the world seek to reorder our priorities, we need to think upon who God is and what He has done in our lives. We need to think upon 
our God and make him the great priority through which the urgent and distracting can can be used for his glory, for his honor. They are opportunities to praise and glorify God. All of our life is about him. As verse 5 states, who is like the Lord our God? No one. Let us pray. Almighty Father, we exalt you. We praise you for, your, for who you are and what you have done. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would help these words, that you would make these words effective in our lives. And that just as this psalm begins and ends with praising you, that our lives would begin and end with praising you. Thank you for this great honor that you have given to us. In Jesus' name, amen.